Thank you for joining me today. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, of course, and this is the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. Last podcast, we optimized our visit to the doctor, focusing on just five ways to have a better experience overall. I got a lot of great feedback about this, especially regarding being on time for your appointment, and I am not surprised about that. I knew this would strike a nerve with some, and I get it. I have been there early for an an appointment only to be sitting and waiting and sitting and waiting. While being on time is important, if that tip didn't work for you, there are still at least four others you can try. So try one of those and hopefully you'll have a better experience. For today's topic, we're going to switch things up a little bit. In the past few podcasts, we've kind of focused on pregnancy-related topics, anxiety, miscarriage, etc. This episode is for everyone who is trying not to get pregnant, okay? We're talking about birth control. I must mention a few things before we continue, just as a framework and foundation for our conversation. First, there is something for almost everyone. If you don't believe me, just keep listening. And I say almost everyone because inevitably I will go through a whole list and someone will say, well, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Nothing works for me. Well, even if nothing works for you, you're still doing something. So we're probably going to talk about that today. Two, you are an individual and what works for you might not work for your friends and vice versa. So there has been many a time where someone comes in and tells me the kind of birth control that they're looking for, what they want, what's important to them. And then we list the options and then immediately they're like, no, no, not that one. I had a friend who used that and it was awful. And while that may be the case, you're an individual. And just because it didn't work for your friend, doesn't mean it won't work for you or just because, you know, it didn't work for that person that you saw on social media or on YouTube doesn't mean it won't work for you. It's still something to just consider, consider all of your options so we can find something that ultimately keeps you from getting pregnant. Three, use what you think is best for you. (laughs) I guess that could seem like it goes a little against what I last said. Don't be influenced by what your partner wants you to use, what your parents want you to use, or even your healthcare provider, assuming that you have had appropriate counseling. And I say that because even we are biased, often unintentionally. And so you really want to feel good about the decision that you've chosen for yourself. Four, I am based in the United States and will be discussing the options available to us here. This may differ if you live in a different country, but you'll probably have something similar or close enough that you could try. All right, now let's get started. Contraception allows us to prevent pregnancy and plan for future pregnancies if desired. Some types also have non-contraceptive benefits like helping decrease blood loss or pain with periods. There are so many great references for the available options with Planned Parenthood and the CDC offering an extensive list with graphics. I've included links to their websites in the blog. Feel free to open and review them while we talk, okay? Sometimes it's helpful just to have a visual 
and the audio at the same time. And so I'm also just going to tell you the websites now if you want to look them up. For Planned Parenthood, it's www.plannedparenthood.org backslash learn backslash birth dash control. And for the CDC, it's www.cdc.gov backslash reproductive health backslash contraception backslash index.htm. So check those out um, for some information as we go along. One thing I also really like about the Planned Parenthood uh, website for birth control is that it's interactive and it is really comprehensive, or excuse me, really um, detailed. I'm going to give you a comprehensive review, but because we're talking about so many things, I can't go into every single detail about all of these options. My goal today is to give you an overview to just kind of help you Think about what might you might be interested in so you can go and have that discussion with your healthcare provider. Once we've kind of gone through and you figured out what you think you're most interested in, I encourage you to go look at the Planned Parenthood website or the CDC website just for more information. Now, whenever I discuss birth control options with my patients, I like to start with the shortest acting to the longest acting. The short acting options are the ones that you need to use every time you have sex, or at least these are the shortest acting ones. They are also some of the more well-known options, whereas the long acting options include permanent procedures and devices you can leave in place for years. There are also some techniques that can be used for contraception related to the timing of sex. So we're gonna go through all of it. Starting with the short acting options that have to be used with each individual encounter. Condoms. Now, external or male condoms are worn by the person with the penis. They are usually made of latex and placed over the penis to keep sperm from getting into the vagina. It is crucial that they be placed at the right time, basically before anything leaves the penis, and then worn properly for maximum protection. So not too tight, not too big. They need to fit just right. Latex condoms also help prevent HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. So that makes condoms a great option in that regard. While you can use water-based and silicone-based lubricant with latex condoms, do not use oil. I repeat, do not use oil. Oil can damage latex condoms and leave you unprotected, and that defeats the purpose. Other materials for condoms include non-latex, so made of plastic that's not, not latex, and lambskin or animal skin condoms. These are safe options for people with latex allergies and can usually be used with any lubricant type, so you don't have to worry about avoiding oil. However, lambskin condoms only protect against pregnancy and not STI. So they have, you know, a lot of small holes. The small the holes are small enough to prevent sperm but not infection. Last, don't forget to check the expiration date before using any of your condoms. The typical use failure rate for an external condom is 13 to 15%. So that's 13 to 15 people out of 100 uh, would get pregnant with using condoms. Internal or female condoms are worn in the vagina. Like external condoms, they can only be used once per encounter. And the great thing is that they can be placed before the encounter even starts and protect against pregnancy and STIs. For example, you could place an internal condom before leaving the house for a night out. Convenient, I know. They're not just for vaginal use and can be used anally as well, making internal a better description than female. 
and the typical use failure rate is 21%. Now, we're gonna go on to talk about some of the other barrier methods. The next two are similar. We'll talk about the differences. The diaphragm. It's a shallow silicone cup that you place in the vagina to cover the cervix before sex. It acts as a barrier to keep sperm from entering the cervix and needs to be used with a spermicide to work best. You know, the sperm have to enter into the cervix to get to the uterus, to get to the fallopian tubes to fertilize an egg. The diaphragm is gonna keep that from happening. It works for up to 24 hours and must be left in the vagina for at least six hours after sex. The typical use failure rate is 12%. And I apologize, I didn't explain before, but typical use failure rate, that means with our the way we usually use it. We're not perfect, right? If you had perfect use failure rate, that would be less. But since we're not perfect, we have the typical use failure rate. And that includes, you know, leaving it in too long, taking it out too early, not having it fitting properly. The next method is the cervical cap. It's like a diaphragm, except it is a thimble-shaped silicone cap that covers the cervix. You place it prior to sex, and it must also be used with a spermicide. Although it needs to stay in place at least six hours after sex, you can actually leave it in a little longer than a diaphragm, up to two days but it is not as effective as a diaphragm. Both the diaphragm and cervical cap need to be properly fitted by your GYN. The typical use failure rate for the cervical cap is 14 to 29%. The sponge. The sponge is a small donut-shaped plastic device that covers your cervix. Like the diaphragm and the cap, it covers your cervix and blocks the entry of sperm. It itself, it itself contains a spermicide and it can be used with condoms. Removal is easy due to a loop that's attached to the sponge. So you just loop your finger in there, grab it and pull it out and you're done. It works for up to 24 hours and must be left in the vagina for at least six hours after sex, just like the diaphragm and the cervical cap. The typical use failure rate varies for women who've never had a baby versus those who have from 14 to 27%. And that's just because the cervix shape changes after you have kids. Now, I meant to say this before, but whenever I hear sponge, I think about uh, the Seinfeld episode where the sponges are going out of stock and Elaine is like hoarding all of the sponges. It dates me, I know, but I just can't talk about the sponge without thinking about that episode. It always makes me laugh. But with that said, that is how it is with birth control. When you find something that works for you, you like want to have all of it. You can't imagine using something else. So I completely understand that story. <laughs> uh, the next one we're going to talk about is spermicide and gel. That consists of creams, gels, films, foams, or suppositories with chemicals that damage or kill sperm. You place them in the vagina up to one hour before sex and leave them in place for six to eight hours after. They can be used alone or with methods we previously discussed and only give protection against pregnancy, so not STIs or sexually transmitted infections. They are another non-hormonal option. And of note, spermicides include the ingredient Ninoxinol 9, which can irritate your genital tissue if you're having sex more than one to two times a day. And that increases your transmission of STIs such as HIV. The typical use failure rate with spermicide alone is 18 to 21%. Now, full disclosure, 
your GYN might not talk to you much about these options. I'm going to admit, I didn't talk to my patients much about these options because we have so many other things that have just better use failure rates. Um, but these are options for someone who says, I really don't want anything hormonal. I really don't want to put anything um, into my uterus. These are all good options. Next, let's go through a list of things that you have to use daily or weekly or monthly. The pill. The pill is, I think, probably what people think of when you say birth control. They automatically think, ah, oh, the birth control pill. It includes combined oral contraceptives, which means they contain the hormones estrogen and progestin, and also progestin-only pills. And they're all prescribed by a doctor and taken every day at the same time. Can I repeat that? Every day at the same time time. The pill prevents ovulation, which means your ovaries will not release an egg each cycle. No egg equals no fertilization, which means no baby. The pill also thickens cervical mucus, creating another barrier for sperm. However, it will not protect against STIs. Unless you start the pill within five days of the first day of your period, and takes seven days for the combined pill to become active. It takes 48 hours for the progestin-only pill to start working regardless of when you start it. Make sure to continue to use backup protection during that time. Birth control pills can be affected by certain medications, so always review with your doctor, your healthcare provider, or do your own research when you're given a new prescription. Side effects. There are associated side effects really with anything that you use. They're considered both good and bad and you need to be aware of them. For example, you may experience nausea, sore breasts, or spotting when starting the pill and they're often considered undesired side effects. Fortunately, these tend to improve after a couple of months. On the other hand, with both pills, you may experience periods that become lighter and shorter. If you're using the combined pill, you may experience decreased hair growth and acne, side effects which are usually considered favorable. These changes tend to last as long as you use the pill. However, with all hormonal birth controls, there are some restrictions. Your medical history will determine which pill you can use or if you can use the pill at all. For example, if you have a history of high blood pressure, whenever you use a medication that contains estrogen, it increases your risk of stroke, and it's contraindicated to use an estrogen-containing medication for that reason. So if you have a history of high blood pressure, we won't recommend a combined pill or the next two methods I'm going to talk about. The typical use failure rate with the pill is 7 to 9%. The next method is the patch. The patch in the US, we have Zulane and Twirla. It can be worn on various body parts, so your arm, belly, back, bottom, and it releases both estrogen and progestin hormones into your bloodstream to prevent ovulation, similar to the pill. It also requires a prescription from your healthcare provider and is replaced weekly for three weeks. During the fourth week, you go patch-free and you get a period. Like the pill, it can be affected by certain medications, so be vigilant if you're given a new prescription <clears throat> and share, and also it shares the same positive and less positive um, effects of the combined pill. The typical use failure rate is also the same at seven to 9%. Next, the vaginal ring. 
We have in the U.S. Nuva Ring and Anavera. It's a plastic ring that you place in the vagina. One you replace each month, so that's Nuva Ring, and you can use it. Um, once you replace each month, that's Nuva Ring, and then the other one, Anavera, you replace each month, but you can use it up to a year. So you're basically using the same one, taking it up, putting it in, taking it out for a year. Each of these rings is worn for three weeks at a time. For the fourth week, you go ring-free and you get a period. Unless you put the ring in right after your period starts, it takes seven days for the ring to start working. Like the pill and the patch, it releases estrogen and progestin to prevent ovulation and has similar side effects. So I just want to review because I feel like I might have made that a little confusing. But the Nuva Ring, each month you're going to use a new Nuva ring. But with Anavera, you are going to use the same ring for a year, but you're going to put it in for three weeks out of the month, take it out for the fourth. And then at the second month, you're going to do the same thing with the same ring. Hopefully that makes sense now. The typical use failure rate of the ring is the same as the patch and the pill at seven to 9%. So let's discuss a few things that apply to these three methods, the pill, the patch, and the ring. First, they are not proven to make you gain weight. That is a very common question, and a lot of research has been performed to investigate that claim. You may experience some water retention. However, that usually improves after a few months or whenever you discontinue the method. Second, with each of these methods, you can also skip periods if you want, which can be a great thing. Like if you're planning to go on vacation or you have a graduation or, you know, you're going to be at the beach, whatever it may be, you can do this by starting a new pack, patch, or ring as soon as the first one is complete. Talk with your doctor about exactly how to do it if you're interested. Third, and as I kind of mentioned before, not everyone can take hormone-containing birth controls. So again, and I'm just stressing it because it's very important, make sure to review your full medical history with your provider before beginning a prescription. And last, none of these prevent sexually transmitted infections. Which one of these is best for you? And this is always, you know, after I go through these, people say, oh, well... These are all great, but which one's best for me? It just depends on what you want. If you like the idea of controlling your birth control yourself, all of these are good methods for you. If you are perfect at remembering to take something every day, you take medications, you take your vitamin every day, it's never an issue, you never forget, then this is going to be a good option, maybe the pill. If you aren't necessarily great at that, but maybe you don't want to put something in your vagina, then the patch might be a great option for you. If you don't mind putting something in the vagina and you just want something that you don't have to think about as much, the Nuva Ring might be a great option for you. So really, it just depends. And so you'll have this conversation with your healthcare provider and they will kind of help to fill in the details and help you make a, a good decision for yourself. Now let's talk about the long-acting reversible contraceptives, also known as LARCs. The first is the SHOT, um, also called Depo-Provera. It contains progestin and it's given in the arm or glute or, you know, bottom once every three months for, from your practitioner. It prevents ovulation and thickens the cervical mucus. Common side effects include irregular bleeding or spotting, not getting a period at all, weight gain, or nausea. This birth control, 
I think is great for many patients, but for the patients who say, I really, really don't want want weight gain, this might be a hard one. Once you stop your period, uh, once you stop, your period can be delayed for up to 10 months, preventing pregnancy. So this also might not be a great option for those people who only want like four months of birth control and then want to start trying to get pregnant. Unless you're starting the pill within seven days of your period, miscarriage or termination, or within three weeks of giving birth, you will need to use backup protection for seven days to allow time for the shot to work. The typical use failure rate with the shot is four to 6%. And so I talked about all the people that this might not work well for, but it works well for a lot of people. It's a great birth control. And you know, one of the reasons for that is that often your period is going to stop. So sometimes when I have patients who have really heavy bleeding, we're able to try the shot. And although they may deal with kind of some heavier bleeding or regular bleeding in the beginning, eventually the bleeding goes away and then they don't ever want to stop the shot. So still something to consider. But again, you'll talk to your healthcare provider and figure out if that's a good option for you. And the nice thing about it also is sometimes on labor and delivery, if you've just had a baby before you leave the hospital, we can give you the shot and that will provide some protection for you for the next three months, which is great. The um, implant. So that's the next one. In the U.S., it's Nexplanon. It is a thin plastic rod about the size of a matchstick that contains progestin. It slowly releases the progestin over three years, according to the label. While it may be recommended for up to five years based on user experience and initial research, that length is still being investigated. And so what you'll see is when you actually read the label for the medication, it still just says three years. But I just wanted to give a little information about that discrepancy. It's inserted just under the skin in your upper arm. We do that in the office. And you can feel it to confirm that it's in its proper place. And we encourage you to do that. It thickens your cervical mucus to keep the sperm from reaching the egg and can also prevent ovulation. It is our most effective birth control method. If you have it placed after the first five days of your cycle, it needs seven days to start working. It can make your periods lighter to non-existent with up to 33% of women not having a period after the first year. Some people will experience irregular bleeding, which is what I've seen as the most common reason that people have it removed. The typical use failure rate is 0.1%. That is very low. The IUD. IUD stands for intrauterine device, which means it's a device that we place into your uterus. They are small T-shaped devices, and we place them during an exam in the office or an office procedure, which is quick, usually takes about two to five minutes, but does involve or can involve at least a lot of painful uterine cramping. There are currently five types of IUDs, four with hormones and one without, five types that we offer in the U.S. They work by slowing sperm movement so that they cannot reach the egg, and they are very, very effective. The hormonal types that we offer, Mirena, Kylina, Laletta, and Skyla, sounds like a girl group. Um, these IUDs last from three to six years. They thicken the cervical mucus, which blocks and traps sperm, and may also prevent ovulation. 
These IUDs release a small amount of progestin daily. It thins the lining of the uterus and can make your periods much, much lighter. In fact, with a Mirena, up to 20% of women stop having a period by the end of the first year and up to 40 to 50% by the end of the fourth year. So that is a great option for people who maybe have heavier bleeding, um, just to experience lighter periods to actually maybe like not a period at all. They can also improve period pains and cramping. The typical use failure rate for the hormonal IUDs is 0.1 to 0.4%, so also very low. The non-hormonal IUD is called Paragard. It's wrapped in a small amount of copper, which works to keep sperm away. It can make your periods a little heavier and longer after placement, which should improve in six to 12 months. And again, it is non-hormonal, it has no hormones. So unlike the hormonal IDs, it does not carry any progestin. And therefore, it is not going to affect um, your cycle and that you will still get your period once a month as expected. The typical use failure rate with a copper IUD is 0.8%. Of note, both the Paragard and Mirena IUDs can be used for emergency contraception if placed within the first 72 hours after sex. So whenever I go through all of the IUD options and specifically just making the decision between hormonal and non-hormonal, people always ask, well, which one is right for me? Which one is right for me? And I go through their history. For someone who has really heavy periods, really painful periods, I'm usually not going to recommend the Paragard. One, because I don't want them to have heavier, more painful periods just for themselves. And then two, it might not be safe. If you're already losing a lot of blood with your period, I don't want to give you something that's going to make you lose more blood and potentially be more anemic. Now, with the hormonal IUD, sometimes people say, you know, I actually really like to get my period once a month. If I don't get a period or if my period is delayed, I'm, I'm anxious. And then I think that I'm pregnant and it's just really stressful for me. So for that person, I'm not going to recommend a hormonal IUD or something that is going to take their period, potentially take their period away because I don't want them to have that stress of constantly thinking that they're pregnant. So you really just have to think about those options. And again, when you have this conversation with your healthcare provider, they'll go over these to help you figure out what makes the most sense for you. Now let's talk about the irreversible or permanent options. Sterilization is permanent surgical procedures that we do to prevent future pregnancies. These methods are hormone-free and very effective. The first, tubal ligation, is a procedure where we permanently cut or remove portions of the fallopian tubes. This blocks the tubes, preventing the passage of an egg or entry of sperm. Similarly, we have the bilateral salpingectomy. That's a procedure where we remove the fallopian tubes altogether. We can perform both of these procedures during a C-section, shortly after a vaginal delivery, or at a later time, laparoscopically. If you want to have your tubes tied, or if you want to have them removed, and you're having a C-section, that would really be the best time to have that procedure performed. The typical use failure rate is 0.5%, so that's like one out of 200. The next is a vasectomy. During this simple procedure, 
for people with penises and scrotums, the tubes that carry sperm in the scrotum are cut so that sperm is no longer able to leave the body and impregnate someone. Like tubal ligation and salpingectomy, it is a same day procedure, meaning you could go home the day of surgery. The typical use failure rate is 0.15%. So just doubling back on that, if you're getting a tubal ligation or bilateral salpingectomy during a C-section, you're not going home the same day. Um, or a vaginal delivery, you're probably not going the same, home the same day. But if we're doing it laparoscopically at a later time, then you could definitely go home the same day if that procedure was uncomplicated. As we've mentioned before, there are also certain techniques or lifestyle adjustments we can make to prevent pregnancy. The fertility awareness method involves knowing the fertile days of your cycle and avoiding sex or using barrier contraception during that time. Fertile days are tracked via increases in your body temperature, changes in your cervical mucus, or just charting your menstrual cycle on a calendar. You have to be very familiar with your cycle, knowing your week of highest fertility with this method. The typical use failure rate is two to 24%. Next, we have the withdrawal or pullout method, which I think is very commonly used. This involves pulling the penis out of the vagina before ejaculation. I repeat, before ejaculation, any ejaculation. No semen, pre-cum, or otherwise can enter the vagina. This does not protect against STIs, so using with a condom gives the best protection. It can be hard also um, to just pull out in time, honestly. So if you're not using a condom, combining withdrawal with other methods is ideal. The typical use failure rate is 22%. So 22 out of 100 people would become pregnant using that method. Breastfeeding method. Exclusively breastfeeding decreases the level of hormones that cause ovulation, giving you a brief period of natural birth control. It only lasts up to six months as long as you do not have a period. Of course, again, you have to be exclusively breastfeeding. If you're giving formula, then this is not going to be a method that works for you. The typical use failure rate is 2%. And again, it only lasts up to six months. Lastly, abstinence and outer course. Abstinence is the avoidance of sex and outer course is the avoidance of vaginal sex. These methods are 100% effective at avoiding pregnancy, but not necessarily 100% effective against STIs, depending on what activities you're participating in. Anytime sexual fluids are exchanged, such as oral sex, there's an opportunity for infection. And if you have tuned in for all of that. That is the comprehensive review of what options we have available for birth control. There is something for everyone there. I know you have to agree with me on that now. And it was a lot of information. So if you want a review of everything that I said, you can check out the blog. And if you want, again, to just be able to see and have the visual Um, checking out the CDC's website or Planned Parenthood's websites are really good options. Now, sometimes 
Although you might want to use birth control, it may be difficult. You may be in a relationship with someone who tries to get you pregnant against your will, tries to control the outcome of your pregnancies, tries to keep you from using birth control or interferes with the birth control that you are using. This is called reproductive or sexual coercion, and it is more prevalent than you may know, or, you know, perhaps you know all too well. A 2007 study found that 26% of women aged 15 to 20 who were in abusive relationships reported that their abusive male partners were actively trying to get them pregnant using all of those methods. Desiring pregnancy, their partners manipulated condom use, sabotaged birth control use, and made explicit statements about wanting them to become pregnant. This paves the way for pregnancy coercion, where someone might threaten to hurt a partner who doesn't want to become pregnant, force a partner to carry a pregnancy to term or terminate a pregnancy against her wishes or injure their partner so that she miscarries. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, has a great list of screening questions. And if you answer yes to any of these, you could be experiencing reproductive or sexual coercion. So what are these questions? Has your partner ever forced you to do something sexually that you did not want to do or refused your request to use condoms? Has your partner ever tried to get you pregnant when you did not want to be pregnant? Are you worried your partner will hurt you if you do not do what he wants with the pregnancy? Does your partner support your decision about when or if you want to become pregnant? A yes to any of these warrants a conversation with your healthcare provider so they can find a contraceptive option that best suits your needs and gives you the protection you need. It is not your fault. Your provider will want to make sure that you have support and again, ensure your safety. So thank you for staying tuned and hanging out with me to the end of this podcast. I hope that it was helpful, that you got some good information. And if anything, you at least have a starting place to go and do some more research about what might work for you. Remember to subscribe to the blog at ladypartsdoctor.com. Subscribe to the podcast. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. So you can subscribe on any one of these. And uh, check the page out on Instagram. Until next time, I am Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor. Be safe. Take care.